Welcome to Point Your Toes, the adventures of NYC dance teacher. I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures, the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Teaching philosophies. So, at this point, Danielle and I have taught basically every type of school that is in existence. Um, I have taught public, private, a uh, little bit in charter, not full-time at charter, but public, private, charter, Montessori, uh, pre-K, kindergarten, elementary, middle, high school, college, <laughs> senior citizen. Mm-hmm. You know, at the, and Danielle's the same. We've taught everywhere at this point. So I, as I encounter, having taught at all these places, I've encountered several teaching philosophies and teaching styles. And many of them I don't agree with, I've learned <laughs> over the years. And so I thought this would be kind of an interesting topic to kind of address of just, I think there can be value in all types of teaching styles and philosophies. However, I don't think all of them are perfect for every child or every student. And I don't think all of them fit every environment. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting because I was really thinking like, I can't believe we actually haven't talked about right. We really right. haven't. Um, and I agree. I also, I do agree that I think that certain environments kind of, dictate what teaching philosophy you go with. And I think that, you know, as dance teachers and choreographers, we also are like jack of all trades. And so like Tony just said, you know, I also have taught in, I've taught in public schools. I've taught um, a lot in charters. I've seen what happens in private schools. I've Mm -hmm. taught for private companies. Um, So yeah, it's very, it's all very different and it definitely shapes how kind of you as the individual, what are your individual teaching philosophies and what do you bring with you as you go from job to job or company to company? Yes. And some of the best advice I've ever gotten, because I'm like, I'm currently and have been for many years, an independent contractor. So I am contracted in several different spaces, theaters and schools constantly. And the best advice I ever got from a uh, teaching artists that's also contracted to a lot of places is that we don't change. The schools and environments that we go into, they change, but we don't. We have to know what needs to come with us and we have to know when to say no to certain jobs mm-hmm. because of that. And I think for me, well, I guess we should start at like, what are our own personal teaching philosophies before we kind of delve into what uh, ones we've seen, ones we agree with, ones we disagree with, agree and disagree with. Um, uh, you can start first, or do you want to go first? Um, I'm going to ask you to repeat that because my sound cut out for a minute. Fun. Um, no, I just said, what are like our personal teaching philosophies? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll jump in. I'll go. So actually so interesting because my, uh, two long-term full-time teaching jobs I've had, which have both been in charter networks, I've had to submit teaching philosophies for. Mm -hmm. um, And I remember applying for my first uh, full-time teaching job and not just the charter world, everywhere I applied to, public schools, private schools, charter schools, they all asked for you to give a philosophy statement. Um, And 
I really discovered a lot about myself from that. For me, um, if we're talking about dance and education, so putting dance in a school, not a studio, uh-huh. right? If we're, if we're distinguishing that, uh, I'm really big on creating a well-rounded dance program and dance student. I'm really big on not just teaching technique, but talking to the kids and having them learn about where did this technique come from in history? How has it moved and been manipulated and developed into what it is today? And what does it mean today? What are our iconic dancers and choreographers and dance figures? What are our iconic pieces and shows that and companies that we need to be aware of that have really shaped where we are in present history, um, which is a big undertaking. And when you're teaching young kids, you don't necessarily always get to do those things, but you start to put in the fundamental blocks, right? Of teaching them about your dance elements and, you know, a specific choreographer and what their dance style is or showing them dance works and having them start to talk about it. So for me, it's well-rounded. You're able to not just dance, but you're able to articulate about dance, you're able to observe dance and speak about dance. So my big things in my philosophy are um, perform or execute, observe and speak, right? So we can do all three of those things when it comes time, time for dance. And for me, I really love if we're in a school trying to have it connect with stuff they're learning, right? Like, you know, a great thing for little kids in dance is when you teach them about the element space and shape, you know, space, they're constantly learning about like science, space and time and that whole continuum. And especially in the younger grades in math, they're learning about shapes and what are specific shapes. And that's really important to teach really, really young dancers, kindergartners and first graders about how to make different shapes with our bodies. So it's really important for me to have them understand that what they learn in dance can actually help them in their other subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, And we use it's again, not just about the technique, but it's about how do we, you know, thinking along the lines of, I always say, I think a lot along the lines of like Laban movement. So talking about like the push and the pull and the, the qualities and the, the different, you know, all the aspects that come around with what makes a well-rounded dancer. Um, and I think that my biggest thing is when I go from job to job, I bring with me this idea of, I will connect it to material they're learning and I will teach them not just about the technique, but about who these people are, where they came from, what they went through, and what's happening today. And I always bring that with me, no matter what job I've gone into, um, it's really important for me to build a well-rounded program. Mm-hmm. But what are, what are you, what are you? So for me, I, uh, we are, and I feel like we knew this, but our philosophies are very similar. But um, mine is uh, creating intelligent dancers that can see understand and then adapt that's kind of like my phrase and so see understand and adapt is kind of my is my really big thing and i've said this to numerous dancers i don't like dumb dancers i agree i'm always like i'm (laughs) i am teaching i am molding smart dancers and like and i i say that to administrators and they look at me like i'm crazy and i was like here's the thing about it no, especially in a career in the entertainment industry, but any career in general, it's never as simple as anyone thinks. And so a dance career, you've got to have an understanding of business, understanding of social media, honestly, in this day and age, you got to have an understanding of your physical and mental well-being, the physical and mental well-being of people around you and mm-hmm. industry trends, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I, you, and 
so to say an intelligent dancer, I need someone that's going to be like, hey, if I dance on my ankle today, it's going to snap. Or like, I am too exhausted to lift this girl. I can't do lifts today. And that sounds something so simple, but I, I that's, you know, I see that sprinkled throughout my philosophy where all the, t- you know, plenty of times when I think of partnering and progen- in general, when I'm t- talking to either partner, that's one that's flying or one that's base, if both of them are not in, in sync with each other or both of them not of, of the mindset to do their part, we're not going to do it. But I need you to be a, an intelligent enough dancer to go, yeah, my I, I'm not solid to be lifted today. I'm going to hurt myself or someone else. I need to know that, you know, or I need someone to be like smart enough to know that like producing a piece about you know, the current political st- statement right now may not be the best thing when we're oversaturated with political statements right now. Yeah. You know, it's little things like that, you know, you have to understand. And so I'm really big on teaching our students all kinds of things like that. And also I'm a, uh, the lear- see, learn and adapt. Very few dancers get to dance one style their whole lives. And in each individual styles, there are numerous diasporas that you can fall into. Like ballet just ain't ballet. Do you dance Balanchine? Do you, you know, like ballet is the most rigid and it's broken down into several different styles because Russian is totally different than just about everybody else. Yep. You know, and so modern, hip hop, contemporary, all ballroom and all same thing. So I'm big on teaching dancers to see a dance and be able to start breaking down pieces of it or understanding of it so they can learn and adapt. And I think when you go into schools and programs, it's the same kind of thing. Um, I teach hip hop at a international high school in the Bronx. So a lot of my students do not speak English either at all or as a first language for certain. I don't think anyone in my school speaks, any of my students speaks English as a first language. and that doesn't mean they don't understand it, but there's, it's just not their first go-to language. So when that is the case, I had a, there was a time where they were asking me to teach ballet to them. Ballet, for those that may or may not know, hopefully you do if you're training in it, ballet is predominantly French. So they want me to go to students that, that English is their second language and offer them a third language or a fourth language to teach them. And I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> I just straight up said, I said that's not fair to to start them on a third or fourth language when they're already struggling with English as a whole to get it and master it. Let's take another route in, you know. Um, yeah. And so I I think you have to just learn learn and adapt, you know. Or it's one of those things of if you know you have a class that is obsessed with TikTok, pull music from TikTok because I'm finding that a lot of the music they're using on TikTok mm-hmm. is literally music from when we were younger when me and Danielle were younger like I had a, a, yeah, a, a, it really a, is they were on they were on the whole earth one and fire kick on TikTok and I was like oh that is music from my childhood we can dance to this music all day and they loved the whole class because it was literally like a 70s cover band class basically so I'm I just love a, that. that's so fun but, but and to them they were like oh there's this TikTok dance and I was like yeah Ursuline and Fire is older than me guys like this is what my parents listen to so this song ain't new at all <laughs> But I think though, like I am um, big on adapting to the people, the environment, and being intelligent about your approach. You know? Yeah. I agree with you about like raising smart dancers. I think something I, I say all the time, and I've said on this podcast before, is I am so fortunate to have 
been trained by a lot of smart dancers themselves and have mm-hmm. seen a lot of the industry. And I'm really fortunate and lucky to like, and honestly, like blessed to have had the teachers I did so that I can know the things that I know now and had smart teachers in college. Like I had, like, I had smart professors in college, right? And there were times where I'd be like, well, I want to do whatever, right? Like, like NYU does, but I had smart professors. Um, and I think that that's really shaped me. And I love that you say adapting because I, I think that's true too. Like my favorite thing is, um, you know, when I tell people I'm a dance teacher and they're like, well, what do you teach? And I'm like, dance. And they're like, yeah, but like, what do you teach? Like, do you teach right. ballet? Do you teach jazz? And I'm like, well, I kind of teach everything. They're like everything. I'm like, yeah, especially because I teach at a school and I teach at an at a more, you know, more or less an inner city school, you know, mm. for the sake of argument. I teach a little bit of everything. And also because like you said, like if we're breaking down movement, a lot of movement is in every style, a lot of specific, right? Like I always tell my kids, I'm like, we call a, we call a plie a plie in ballet because it's French and, and ballet comes from the French world. And that's what we do. But like you plie in hip hop, you plie in tap dance, right? Like you are doing the same movements over and over. And I think that, as we continue to have dancers recognize it, that's where we create smart dancers. And so, you know, I love this conversation because I was gonna say I love this conversation because I currently teach a lot of younger kids and Tony teaches older kids. So it's great to see how we like, how do we break down my, my, you know, Danielle's overarching philosophy for our young kids. And then how can Tony take that and build it up for our older to create smart, well-rounded dancers. Well, and it's funny that you say that, like you plie both. I remember I was teaching at this program. It was, it was a hip hop class and hip hop or African. I can't remember, but I remember that the, the artistic director came and she was a, ba- she's a ballet master. So like, she's one of those lovely women that has been dancing ballet her whole life. Uh, very supportive program. But she came in and she was like, I just like I need to to them to get lower. Like it's still too high. I said I've been yelling about that too. Tell them. She's like, well, just in me. She's like, in me, it's always to say plie. I said they know everybody plie, and the whole class dropped. And she was like, yeah, ballet turns. I was like, I told them I learned classical ballet because these are the most common terms that are used throughout multiple dance Mm -hmm. industries. And then you will come mm-hmm. again, you learn and adapt it to what you need. If I, if somebody says plie to you, you should know that means to get down. Whether we're doing hip hop, yeah. dance, African contemporary, whatever. You should know that it means to bend your knees. Yes. You know, and so, and, and that's again, going, again, that philosophy just carries forward. It's not going to hurt. And I've said this to hip hop dancers and they've said this to, they, I, some professional hip hop dancers heard me saying this to younger, younger dance, hip hop dancers. And they, uh, they were glad that I were teaching them. And they said, because when you get onto set or when you get onto a big show that incorporates hip hops, hip hops, hip hop, they don't talk to you in hip hop lingo a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. They talk to you in broad general terms. Yeah. So 
I teach my dancers stage right, stage left, upstage, downstage, like stage directions that are used in theater, because those are going to be used in any genre. And I found that some like hip hop dancing, when I'm like, yeah, go to the wings. And they're like, what's a wing? And I'm like, oh, we are not going to understand each other if I don't explain these things to you. Or when you get to your next teacher, you're not going to understand these things because no one ever took the time to give you these basic across the board terms mm-hmm. that are constantly used in dance. Yeah, it's true. Um, so I, the next thing I kind of want to talk about is the the teaching styles and philosophies that don't that I believe do not work well for younger audiences, specifically okay. our, our K and elementary kids. Yeah, I was doing a tour, an educational tour in the state of Florida many many moons ago, and I encountered my first Montessori school. And for those of you that don't know, Montessori schools are not very big on desk and chairs and rigid structured learning. Yeah. They're very big on everyone sits on a carpet, everyone's on a mat. We sit in a circle learning. And me who would never encounter this until I was a full-blown adult was flabbergasted. I did not know how to work within that environment. And I'm actually interested to hear Danielle's thoughts on this. For me, I don't enjoy this type of learning structure for younger kids, like our, our elementary kids. I teach at a school that does responsive classroom, with which is a couple ticks above Montessori. I mean, it's definitely not, it's not Montessori. I would say that responsive classroom is more like in the middle, maybe dipping a little left, right? If we're thinking like no excuses is probably right. You know, mm-hmm. Montessori is your left. I also taught in an after-school program that was a Montessori school for a while. So, mm. yeah. So here's my thing. So I taught, like, you know, all transparency. I taught at a no-nonsense school for a couple of years. And then I moved to a responsive classroom school. And that shift alone was pretty big. And I had actually teaching at the Montessori school before, but there had been like a gap. And that was already hard. My biggest thing I think is that I don't agree with no nonsense, like pretty much at all. There's certain aspects that I do, but for the uh-huh. most part, I don't. However, I think that little kids need structure. So when I started my, my job at the responsive classroom school, I also had to go to responsive classroom trainings and read like honestly, like four books on like early childhood psychology, like they like made us crash course in early childhood ed. And a lot of the books, you know, they, there's this really great book called yardsticks where they break them down into ages, the kids, the Mm. chapters. And um, a lot of it is like, you know, the kids, they need that freedom to explore, but at the same time, like six-year-olds, like they'll say like a six-year-old, they crave structure right? Or they'll say like a first grader who's seven, they like have to know the order that things are happening or it's going to give them anxiety. And this is from like years and years and years and years and years of childhood psychology and development, right? So this Uh is like real stuff. So thinking back to my days of after school in Montessori, it was always hard. I could never corral the kids to sit down, even in a circle. They'd get up and do what they wanted. They weren't following directions. Part of that was because I would come in and be an after-school teacher and wasn't trained in the teaching philosophy of Montessori at all. Um, And so I think that there's aspects of this idea of like community and giving them freedom to explore, which are great. But I think um, it is 
very hard for young kids to even understand what that freedom to explore really is and means. Um, and I think that when you take away, so like RC still has like rules and, and procedures. And I think that when you take away all of that and become Montessori, kids, kids start to like not know what to do because they don't know what to do because nobody's telling them. And it's like, you know, like developmentally, they actually crave that. They crave being told yeah. the planet so that they can then be told they did a good job. That's an actual thing. Um, but that, see, that's where my struggle I've never, So I've never worked in a Montessori school full-time, right? I did an after-school program. I work in an RC school now, and there's aspects of Montessori in RC. And even when we're doing RC, I find certain things like, I'm like, ooh, like, Cause like certain things they'll be like, well, how do you feel about that? I'm like, no, you need to tell William to go get in line. Like <laughs> tell so him to get on the line. <laughs> that I, I taught a Saturday and after school program of arts in a Montessori school. And that was the struggle because I, they are, again, we know from studies that children do create younger children do crave structure. And the thing that I found so like when the arts programs came in, they were okay with me implementing discipline in my dance classes. And even in the tour that I did, they were like, for this workshop, it's totally fine. But the problem was they had no, those kids were so removed from that structure that when you gave them that structure, they didn't know what to do with it. Like it just, it was, it's like making a wall of sand. Right. They just didn't and then have the foundation for it. And what, and so that's why I really do struggle with seeing that philosophy used on younger children, because I'm like, we don't live in a society that is a Montessori. No. So at some point, whether they middle school or high school, or even let's say they make it all the way through to Montessori's in adulthood, at some point, they're going to have to learn to sit still and like, listen. And that's not, again, I totally get rebelling and rebelling against the machine, but like at such a young age, I feel like it's very hard to to get instructions to them when on a whim Billy saw a bird Billy gonna be in the window watching that bird for 20 minutes mm -hmm. and he knows that that's okay because he's allowed to do that and then right. he'll come back but Billy has missed the entire instruction of what we're doing in class now right so I just I, I struggle strongly with with that kind of philosophy for younger children and I think it's hard when you put dance to it too because <sighs> dance is all about about discipline and like Obviously, ballet is like the easiest example of how you have discipline in dance, but like every style, every Absolutely. style, like how many, like, let's talk about the amount to of like African, West African classes that Tony and I have been to where you have to do the same movement over mm -hmm. and over and over. That's not just for funsies. That's building discipline of getting the movement in your body. How does mm -hmm. it feel? Making sure you do it correctly. Right. And so I think like, it's already hard with academics. And then if you tell someone to go in and teach a dance class in a Montessori school where it, it, there's discipline embedded, no matter what style you choose to teach them, there's gonna be that automatic resistance. Mm -hmm. And then, well, sticking, let's continue talking about Montessori-ish style teachings. I kind of love that idea for high school kids more to some degree, because I've seen programs where uh, like one of the high schools I taught at, it's like essentially you have a math teacher. They like, they, their classes were four, two hour, two hour blocks. So they, the teachers only could have 30 minutes of lecture. Mm -hmm. 
the other hour and a half projects, assignments, whatever. And mind you, you knew all the work you had to accomplish for like the week and you would get it all on Monday. Mm-hmm. And so it was up to you to have it turned in by the due date. And I seeing those kids be like, I just, I saw the development and understanding of your learning habits that you typically don't really find out till college. Cause in college you learn whether, how you study or if you study at all, you know? So like in college you learn, Oh, I'm a crammer. I need to cram at the last minute. Or you're like, I don't need to study at all. Or like, I need to study over the course of several weeks. You learn that in college. These kids in high school were already understanding that. Like I met a group of kids that were totally BSing the entire time because they were coming to my dance class. I was like, you have class right now. There's like, yeah, we do, but like all my work's done. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, oh, I finished all my work on Monday. If it gets to Tuesday and I have any work left, I've done something wrong. And I was Mm. like, oh, wow. And of course, like followed up and like, but he was, he, and kind of his little group of friends too, but he was really disciplined on his where he was like, I don't want to do schoolwork. So I get all of it done on Monday. What that created for him is that he would see an assignment and eat it up so quickly. Like his brain just got so used to doing stuff quickly. On the reverse, I had some kids that would be like, I'm not productive today. So they would just shut down. They would get through the lecture, shut down. The next day, they would be better. And so that, I think when you're in high school and older, you have a better understanding of your freedoms and that type of, I don't want to say hippie, but that kind of loose structural environment Mm-hmm. Works better for an older kid that has understanding of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I really like that. I think that that idea is like awesome because it put it really puts the learning on them and it makes them hold mm-hmm. themselves and their teammates if they're working in a group accountable. You mm-hmm. know what all the work is. We have a thirty minute lecture and then you have thirty minutes or whatever how long the period is to do your work, and you yes. can choose to read a book or you can choose to do your work. But on Friday, all your shit better be in. Um, and and I think it's just so brilliant. Like it really, it honestly is. And now are there going to be kids and people who will not thrive in that situation? Absolutely. Everyone's different, but I do think in general, creating that ownership over yourself and your learning and how you want to succeed, because at that point it's really on you if you pass or fail. Um, I agree. I think it's pretty brilliant. Um, and I think that it would work better for kids who get to that age by already having situations where they've had structure and understanding of how things work because if you're floating in you know like I'm sure someone's gonna yell at us for me saying this but if you're like floating in la la land your whole life then I think there comes the whole like okay well you told me it was due on Friday yeah did you do it no okay but it's due today so like where is the you know what I mean like I think that that there's come that and now Yes, I I totally agree with that because I'm just thinking of the philosophies and habits that you do as as your as a kid often stick with you in adulthood. Yes. So I just remember being that person thinking that it would be different when I became an adult that I would become a morning person magically as I became an adult. That did not happen. I am not a morning person. I've learned to get up to do what I need to do, but that philosophy of me being younger and just not loving mornings hasn't really changed. Same. And so Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. You have to come from a bit of structure already so that it can be more beneficial to have that freedom as you mm-hmm. get older. Now, on the flip side, as someone who taught in a no-nonsense structure and taught young kids, I also do not think that that's beneficial because it creates an insane amount of anxiety, first of all, in the adults that teach in that building, but also in the kids. I mean, 
and for anyone who's ever worked in a no-nonsense setting, it's one of, it's like a weird, it's like a weird thing where like when it's happening in the moment, you don't recognize what's happening. And then you leave and you take a step back and you're like, what the actual F is going on? It was me. The first time I had it happened to me was so at like a no-nonsense school, there's a line in the there are two lines in the hallway, and the kids walk on the line. And they do not get off that line. No nonsense school is what they like. If you ever hear of like the school to prison pipeline, that's no, no. what it is. Yep. And so for me, the first time I was like doing a t- like a uh, administrative meeting there, and the kids were like walking on the lines in the hallway, and like let's say Sarah decided to get out of line, and the amount of like attack dog moment of all the adults being like roar and this child like snapped up really quick and i was like uh uh like it i'm with danielle it created such anxiety within me that i was like oh no we can't have that like that can't be a like that baby was just looking at her picture on the wall from an art project yeah she's okay she didn't even get out of line hardly like i mean i'll say this i worked in a no-nonsense school and by the time I got around to my third year of teaching I would like every single Friday my friends and I would like go to someone's apartment and just like everyone would get their own bottle of wine because that's how stressful and insane our week was so then I left um (laughs) however things that I will say is that you know I didn't I never followed all the, all the rules of the school, right? Like when the kids would come into my classroom, it became like my classroom and we're going to do things my way. Right. Um, and I will say that in general, I had very successful dance classes there. I do think because it is ingrained in them to make sure that they're constantly listening, focused, not talking out of line. It is, you're able to get a lot of stuff done quickly with the kids you're able to teach them a lot because there are no interruptions um and I did have some amazing you know amazing dancers when I worked at this one school um and I will say that I think that even though it's kind of like a wide like the wild wild west it did teach me things practices and ideas that I could bring with me to my next job Mm -hmm. that I still can always fall back on and rely on so again it's not like 110% bad. I think there are things in there that are good. And I think um, that's the beauty of a good teaching philosophy is you need both. You yes. need you need far left and you need far right. You need a, a, a good, comfortable middle that can fluctuate, you know? Because um, I worked at a, um, a middle school that was no nonsense. And like, to the point where like for um, assemblies, students had to skip a seat and could not sit beside someone for fear that they might talk. Oh, wow. And I was just like, but like assemblies are meant to be fun. Yeah, that's a lot. Like they're, oh yeah, that school was a true gem of a school. Um, me and that principal still don't talk because I just could not like, that principal ended up getting like in trouble because they say she went too far, but who knows? Mm-hmm. I left it alone after I walked away. Um, but it's it's one of those things of like that, and again, I understand the level of rigidness. Like I said, I've I've taken the ballet class. I've worn the tights. We know there is a discipline, and even the military, that's kind of their philosophy. Is like you fall black on you fall back on discipline on the tough days. Like if your body yeah. instinctually, and or we say this in dance too, or in a lot of things, technique will get you through the hard days. 
Mm-hmm. So like if I know that to be technically sound, when I'm tired, my body's going to default to the technical thing, which is going to keep me safe. Yeah. You know, so what it is, if you just have certain stuff ingrained in you, it, it does come in handy where I can make one symbol and the whole room goes quiet. So that saves me from having to scream and get you guys under control or, you know, and Absolutely. I can relay emergency information, simple instructions or whatever the case may be. But on the reverse of that, there are some happy accidents that happen when you're, when you are free flowing. So I do think you do kind of have to have, or just the flexibility of dealing with children. Because yeah. I know there's plenty of days where I've walked into a dance class and all of my girls were having ladies time and they were like, we're, uh-uh, uh-uh. It was just a collective, uh-uh. I said, cool, I'm a dim the lights. It's a stretch class. Pull out the yoga mats. Yeah. Everyone was at, literally, we did stretches. We, you know, I, first of all, I recommend that to any dance teacher. Just have you one good day when you know their energy is low or like you want to change it up a little bit dim the lights, throw an incentive cancel, stretch, just like spend all the time in your splits. Like we would literally do five minutes on your right split, five minutes on your left split. And that, but mm-hmm. the fact that I wasn't like, we have to do this by this date and I have to have this ke- to keep up with my lesson plans and all that things, but to just come in and stretch and breathe. And everyone was like, oh, this is kind of what I needed. And I think you, with working with children, you need that flexibility because sometimes it could be they had they saw a movie right before they came to you, or there was a pizza party because they came to you right after lunch, or an ice cream party. Like I mean, uh, those yeah. are like normal things that happen, and it trust me, it don't change for high school. It does not change for high school. I would all. say I think the the best thing that I kind of learned for myself is figuring out what is my philosophy when I had to write it down because I was yes. applying for jobs. Right? What is my philosophy? What is my end goal? of teaching dance how do I want to teach dance and then like you said adapting right being able to have like a toolbox of different practices from my time Mm -hmm. nonsense from my days of teaching after school at a Montessori from my current position at a responsive classroom school from my days in a studio right and like being able to like take all those different experiences and those toolbox and be able to quickly go okay this isn't working so we're going to do this instead But I think the thing is like, when you create an overarching, what is my philosophy? Like, what am I doing? Why am I teaching? You're then able to break down per age group, per grade, right? Per developmental stage. How am I going to get them to my end goal eventually? Um, And you start to think in terms of, and creating your lessons in terms of thinking about, I want them to be a well-rounded dancer. I want them to learn X, Y, and Z. How can I get my five-year-old to understand any of that? Um, and I think, you know, and I, so I, I challenge people who were like, I've never thought of that before to think about it because I didn't until I was forced to. And And I think it makes you a better teacher. And it's changed the way I've taught. Even if I go into a studio to sub a class or I've taught summer programs, I still am thinking about how do I want to teach them, teach smart dancers? Well, uh, yes. And I think, I think you're very right coming up with and knowing your philosophy allows you to be prepared for whatever the gig is because Mm -hmm. I it's the same thing of whether I have and there have been times where we try not to do this anymore but I've had elementary middle and high school all in one semester and everybody wants to show at the end but we're not going to all get to the same show the same way Mm -hmm. you know but again if I cultivate smart intelligent dancers you know I can go to 
my high school, I can go to any of them, honestly, and be like, hey, we dress rehearsals start on this date. We only have four more classes. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to those other dances, you know, to two other dances that we need to, or the extra five minutes we wanted to add to this dance or whatever the time signature. I've loved going to students that way to be on a lecture basis, being like, this is where we need to be. What are we going to do? And I've seen classes be like, oh, we can get there. Give it to like, give us the material. We'll shut up. We'll do what we need to do. If you got choreo, we'll get there. Then I have yeah. other classes go being like, mister, we're tapped out. I don't know if we can get there. I'd much rather we just start practicing now before we get down to the theater. And I've been okay with both because honestly, I, I sit back proud and go, oh, I've made you smart enough to know where we are at right now. And that, yeah. uh, cool, we can adjust that goal for spring semester because there's yeah. always more time in spring semester. Um, always. <laughs> but and it really is like, it's like the highlight when you like get to a part in a lesson and some, and like you have a student, no matter what their age, like recall something you did the last semester or a day ago mm -hmm. or a week ago or last year and they remember something or they're able to like make a connection that you felt like you wouldn't even think that they'd be able to make. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like that's, you know, like that's incredible. And those are the days where you're like, wow, today was like such a good day because they were able to like really embody and understand. And uh, passing it on to the next teacher because yeah. one of my proudest moments is that I, I've had several teaching, but I finally got the chance before the world turned upside down actually uh, to visit one of my former students. I taught her in elementary and middle school. And now she's in an arts high school, one of the big famous ones in New York City. Um, and I finally, they have, they don't really have like final concerts for underclassmen, but they do have um, visitation week where parents and whatnot can come in and, and see the watch class from the kids performing. And she was begging me up and down to come see her. And I was like, I don't know if I can finish my schedule. And I finally had time. And I was like, I can see a modern class and a ballet class. And she was like, you have to come to my Limon class. I was the first person that taught her Limon at, in fifth grade, actually. She started learning Limon. Get her in class. I'm like in the corner giddy because she's like beasting through really, really difficult combination. Uh, and then like I, her teacher, like I, she, she made eye contact with me because we both started laughing because the teacher taught it on the right side. And then she said, you got five minutes, learn the left. And that's always a thing I've always done with my dancers. You got five minutes to figure out the left before I come to give it to you on the left. And Andrea, yeah, I can drop her name. Andrea locked eye contact with me and she started laughing and I started laughing too. And the teacher just kind of looked up at me and I was like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your class. They finished class and we get to the end of class and She's she introduces her mom and she, she goes, this is the person that taught me Lamone first. And the teacher said, so you're the reason why I have to work harder because she knows a lot of the basics already. And I said, yeah, she learned all the Lamone basics in middle school. So that now in high school, she can advance. She can do the more difficult things. You know, she yeah. can work and build upon it because again, the groundwork was done earlier. So she's not learning cat stretches, you know, in ninth grade. She's already, her, she already understands the flexibility and stuff for her back. So moments like that make me know my philosophy is working and that yeah. it can be implemented later. Yeah. And I, I just think that, yeah. I mean, I, I love that you brought this up when you said, I want to talk about this. Cause I was like, we never have. And, you know, again, it's something that I learned not like later in life. Right. But like definitely wasn't exposed to early. And I do think it's completely shifted the way 
that I teach. And I think it continues to shift the way that I teach, right? Like every year, every semester, there's always something new I think about, right? My, oh, again, my overarching theme, right? They should be able to perform, observe, and articulate. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Perform, observe, articulate. And they should uh, write, articulate, observe, they should know things about the history. And so every, that's my overarching theme. And it's like every semester I think about what can I do different? What can I do better with those three goals in mind? And so I think even that applies to this COVID world now where I know I'm doing a lot more videos. I've shown way more videos than I ever have. Um, but I, it's that's the only way I don't want to decrease exposure to them. Because I'm really big on just inviting friends to come to my class and talk with them or lecture them or taking the kids to go see a battle or whatever performance. And so when that's not a case now, I'm showing a lot more videos before after we start dancing. And I I really am challenging them to to see something, be able to break it down and also to adapt. You know, like a lot of my kids, we, we, as much as we adults had the conversation about teaching dance online, I had the conversation with my kids too, being like, what does that look like for you? Do you have the space? Do you don't have the space? And so I love them being able to articulate. I, I can't really do jumps, but I got plenty of space to turn. But like the floor, yeah. mm, it, it, neighbors will bang. Or, you know, one girl, I can't really do turns in here because there's not enough space, but I can do I can do small jumps. I can do petite, uh, petite jumps in here. And I was like, great, you know, or little things like that that I think, again, laying that groundwork of being able to adapt has worked out well so that even when a guest teacher comes in or a guest artist comes in, they know even if I don't get it or I don't understand it right away, oh, I got to learn it yet. I haven't learned it yet, so I can't adapt because I don't I, have, I don't know what I've learned yet to adapt yeah. it to. Um, so that being said, that brings us to our tip of the week. So this is just a part of the episode that we like to just give a tip or offer something to our listeners. Um, for me, this episode is coming out the week of the presidential inauguration. So we have a brand new president by the time you're listening to this episode. Um, I don't even have to get political. I'm just very excited to not have to be in campaign season. Um, I am still in Georgia at the moment. And so I recently found out that they spent about $5 million on campaigning for the runoff election for the Senate runoff election here in Georgia. And I believe it was my entire soul because I can quote to you campaign acts from all four candidates that were up for re- for the runoff election. So I'm just very happy that runoff is done, presidential is done, that politics can be a thing I can now choose to invest time into instead of being a part of every waking moment of my day. <laughs> so that is, that, that is what I'm excited for. And I'm also excited for the support that the current administration has for the arts. But I'm also just very happy to not have to be con- feeling like a politician, even though I've never been elected. So yeah, yeah. what about you? Um, kind of along the same vein, um, not really a tip, just you know, sharing some thoughts. I'm excited for an administration that seems to understand what the arts can bring as well as education. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. And I am excited just with this, um, you know, we talked about it last week. We talked about it before, like the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm excited. I'm excited to see the movement we can make um, 
to get back to being able to teach in person and dance yes. on stage, you know, so I am really excited about, you know, the, the promise of getting teachers back in the classroom and being safe. I'm really excited about the arts initiatives. Um, so we'll see how they go, but it definitely feels good. It feels like, you know, personally for me, the new year has officially started um, and 2021 is going to be a good year. Mm-hmm. Cheers to that. Well, with that, the curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are at Point PYT on all social media platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, The Adventures of an NYC Dance Teacher.